Uh, hello, everybody. Welcome to the First Line Nutrition Everyday Hero podcast, podcast where we feature extraordinary stories told by extraordinary people. My name is Jason Tyler. I'm your host, and I'm here with my main man and co-host, Martin Banner III, a name so good they used it three times, and he's going to tell you what we believe in on the podcast. Hey, this is Martin Banda. Here at the Everyday Hero Podcast, we believe everybody has a hero inside of them. We just need a platform to share our story and an audience to tell it. Today here, you're going to get both, the story and the audience. Enjoy. And now, the story we've all been waiting for. His name is William. He's an extraordinary person, and we call him the lucky one. I hope you enjoy. All right, so this is the First Line Nutrition Everyday Hero Podcast. I'm here with a very extraordinary person, Mr. William Abel. He is a husband, a father, a Marine, a firefighter, a paramedic. He is currently a registered nurse at Herman in the medical center, Houston, Texas. He has a daughter that is currently battling cancer as we speak, and he is here to tell us his story. So welcome to the program, Mr. William. How are you doing today? Uh, Doing pretty good. So let's start from the beginning, my friend. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I mean, you covered pretty much all the the high points on it. All the pertinence. <laughs> yeah, all the pertinence. Okay. So yeah, well, there's a lot to cover. Yeah, I was gonna say you covered a lot right off the bat, but <laughs> right off the bat. Yeah, um, that's right. I guess I, I mean to start it all out. It, it, everything that happened to us started in January with okay. with my own diagnosis because I'm surviving it myself. So. Right. Uh, I forgot cancer survivor. Yeah. Well, not exactly survivor. I, I can't really list myself as a survivor yet. I have to be five years out of treatment before they considered us. Five years out of treatment. Okay. Yeah, before they considered so us survivor. Still cancer fighter. All right. Yeah. Still All fighting. Right, go ahead. Um, I'll stop interrupting you. Uh, my 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 diagnosis was uh, January 9th in 2019. And then uh, Allison's diagnosis, when I was about three quarters of the way through my treatment, she got a diagnosis in uh, July 29th, I think is the exact date. Same year. Yeah, same year. So we're both having a lot of fun with that. Um, yeah. We were all thinking 2019 was going to be our bad year, and then we come across 2020 and it didn't get much better So from a whole other line of aspects, but... Um, yeah, I mean, I was diagnosed with, uh, I think a set of rectal cancer is what I was diagnosed with, but I'm currently, uh, what would they would say cancer free at the moment, but not necessarily out of the woods yet. The way that it works so yeah, is ahead. that they give you the, the standard of care is for, for my cancer is radiation and chemo a mild dose of chemo during the radiation then surgery and then um, chemo again but I decided that I didn't want to do 
the surgery and went and got a second opinion to MD Anderson. I started with Texas Oncology. So my diagnosis was at Clear Lake uh, mm-hmm. Regional Hospital through HCA because I would have had to have a colostomy bag the rest of my life because they would have had to remove everything because of location. Mm. Um, so when I went to MD Anderson, which I, I think a lot of people should know this, that they're a little more willing to try different things than a lot of the other stuff because they, you know, they're the one that's basically pretty much sets the standard of practice for the world, really, by what they, right. they've explained to me. But my mine now, I'm in a wait and watch program, and, and they're trying to find more people like me on that aspect that still has function and, and you know, is not incontinent, basically, that has rectal cancer, so they can do that aspect. Because if you're incontinent, there's no point in, you know, you may as well just get the colostomy bag, because that's just life at that point. over yeah well, with the incontinence I mean, it, is pretty much over you might as well just keep with the, the, colostomy, the colostomy bag, bag. right yeah well i, I was kind of unique on my part because i was able to you know i was i had a functioning rectal area and i wasn't incontinent and i, I you know i had control and they're and they're trying to st- change the standard of practice on my part because um a lot of people don't do well with the surgery if that makes sense, and they're not able to do the um, last doses of chemo because of complications on the surgery, and then they end up contracting the the you know con- the cancer again. Right. So what they're trying to do on my part is change it to you do radiation and chemo, take a break, do chemo again, and then do surgery afterwards if you need it. Right. Um, the, the terrible thing about my cancer is that a lot of people go to the ER and they misdiagnose it as a, um, a hemorrhoid. Yeah. And then they go home and they think it's a hemorrhoid and don't think much of it, you know, because that's what the ER doctors have told them. And then they metastasize and it's too late and they end up, you know, dying from the cancer. Right. We were, we were lucky we caught mine early enough that we could treat it. You know, I only ended up stage two, you know, very, very early stage two with no, no metastasize and, and uh, so not a did stage they, four. Did they diagnose you with a hemorrhoid at first and send you home or no? They, tr- they tried to do that to me at so the Clear what, Lake ER. What did you do? How did you combat um, that? The way I combated it is we, we had a, I had a large amount of rectal bleeding. Yeah. It was not normal, you know, even right. for a hemorrhoid. And, you know, I have a wife that's an L&D nurse, so she knew what she was looking at, where the ER doctor refused to even look at the pictures that we took of it. We fought to get me admitted and under 24-hour 20, observation or whatever, 23-hour observation is what they actually call it, and fought for a col- or colonoscopy the next morning, and that's when it was discovered. So, But we had to fight for that. N- not a right. lot of people know to fight for that. So you had to get uh, a, did you have to get a second opinion on that also, or you just no 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 just no no once 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 we fought for that and we got that point, um, and I'm not I'm not going to down Texas Oncology at all. Um, they're wonderful. I mean, they're a great group of people. Um, 
you know, cause the, the first part of my treatment went amazingly well. Right. But the drawback to fighting cancer out in which, you know, my, my surgeon and MD Anderson calls it fighting cancer out in the boonies is that they can't take any chances. So they just go with the standard of care and the standard is, you know, treatment of radiation and chemo, then surgery, and then back to chemo again. That that's, that's the standard. So, right. but they're trying to change that because they, they have many people that when they do the pathology after they do the surgery, they can't find cancer in the pathology. And it's, they, they're like, oh my God, I can't believe we just disfigured someone permanently the rest of their life. You know, and that's why they're trying to change it. That actually had a functioning rectum, you know? Right. So, um, so basically, you know, I went through the treatment, went through all that, went and talked to my surgeon again. He told me that that's what he was going to do. And that's when I chose to seek a second opinion. And uh, MD Anderson was willing to do wait and watch with me, which means that I went through radiation and chemo, went and saw my second opinion, you know, after the break between the two. And then I received chemo again afterwards. As long as my scans come back negative, I won't ever have to have, I, you know, well, I can't say I won't ever have to have surgery, but I won't have to have surgery concerning this particular cancer. Right. And they say that after the two year mark of treatment, the likelihood of me getting that cancer back again is, is pretty much, you know, it's very rare, very, very rare. It's like less than a 10% chance. So, because everything usually comes back within that two year or two years after treatment. What is the time period we're talking from when you first got the diagnosis to, to uh, when you were cancer free or when you were done? How long are we talking? Um, I started like extremely fast and, and that's, what's nice about a place like Texas oncology and MD Anderson. They don't mess around once that, once you get diagnosed with it, once they know about it, man, they are on the ball. Most of the cancer centers here in the Houston area are that way the, the, because time it, it's just like, you know, what I basically work in is a STEMI, you know, time is muscle time, you know, same thing with, with, uh, strokes, you know, time is, is brain it, it right. you know the longer you let a cancer set the more likely it is to metastasize and, and kill you and right. some of the cancers out there like my daughter's cancer extremely extremely fast so you can't you can't fool around you you have to do something quickly and they know that and they were quick about it i mean with within a week i was already you know worked up to get radiation we were going through all the process to do it you know i was getting I, they had a port for me for my chemotherapy you know iv treatment and it it was like really really fast and and i was receiving treatment before the middle of you know like i was pretty much in the middle of january and i was diagnosed i was receiving treatment i was already receiving radiation and chemo before the end of january right and basically a port a port is a iv that's in your body the whole time and they just access it instead of having to give you multiple iv iv sticks yeah, exactly. Okay. Right. I mean, you still get Just, stuck every time, but right. it, the, the main reason why they do it that way is because the chemo is very caustic to your vessels and your, you know, your mm-hmm. peripheral regions, you know, like your arms and legs. So they don't want to use an IV there because it'll burn up all your, your veins and your, and your arms, basically. 
it's easier right, on you so to have a large vessel access. You were fighting cancer from January, February, March, April, May, and then June, and then July comes. So what was going on? Your daughter Allison was having headaches. That's what. That's where it all started. Um, she started with a weird headache and vomiting, uh-huh. and then when she vomited, the headache went away. Then it escalated to um, uh, what do you call it? She she kind of stumbled around and acted like she couldn't see real well and was getting a lot more clumsy. Yeah, taxi. Yeah, and then she um, started having double vision. Right. And then when her her gait changed really bad, that's when we were like, oh, my God, this is like the last, you know. But we had gone out and gotten, you know, when when we got to the clumsy stage with the vomiting and the other part, we couldn't explain why she had it. That's when they decided to do an MRI. And when we finally got the MRI done, the way how fast her cancer was growing is that we immediately went to surgery right afterwards and they wanted the MRI. I mean, her she was having multiple neurological changes, even right before the MRI, her gait had gotten really bad and everything. They denied the the MRI, right? Well, no, they didn't deny it. They they wanted to push it way out. They said, you know, MRIs are not emergencies. And, but a lot of people, and this is, this is another thing like, you know, the, the regular person that has no medical training doesn't realize this, you know, right. That when you have severe neurological, neurological changes, you need to be, you need to be on the ball with this because if we would have waited until the time frame they were pushing us out to for the MRI, she would have died. Right. So I mean, we would have lost her because her yeah. cancer was growing that fast. But, um, uh, when we got our MRI, we went up to Herman, you know, shortly afterwards, because we got our MRI done at, at uh, Clear Lake. And we went up right. to Herman and we met uh, Dr. Uh, Sanderson, I think is what his name is. Good Lord, I can't believe I can't remember. Um, I'd have to look up that name again. Okay. But uh, any, I think it's Sanderson. He was wonderful. I mean, he, it was really, really quick. I mean, we were admitted that night, that morning we had surgery. Um, hers was a little more, and, and because of the aggressiveness of her cancer, we had to do, we had to do surgery first. Then we went through, uh, radiation and chemo like I did, you know, mild chemo with radiation, but she did proton therapy. So she was globally radiated all, all her entire brain and her entire spinal column. Right. But her her cancer had metastasized. So she was technically stage four metastasized at one of her cranial nerves. So they were very aggressive in the treatment. Um, the wonderful thing about hers, which was also, it's like a double-edged sword because it was so aggressive, it was easily treated. If that makes sense, or would respond to treatment, not easily treated, but would respond very well to treatment. It was more like it. Right. Um, if she would have had one of the other cancers that were slow growing and everything else, not as dangerous on that aspect. But, right. It wouldn't have, it would have responded to treatment. So, right. Cause the slow growers are picky. Yeah. Well, not even that. I mean, they're all picky. That's the big right. thing about cancer. They have to, they have to find a genetic 
component to it to know to to know what what to do to treat it if that makes sense so what was allison's actual diagnosis medulloblastoma medulloblastoma and that's 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 a tumor in the brain uh technically it's not in the brain it's in the fourth ventricle next to the brain stem ah you Does know, that you have make it medulla. more difficult or less difficult? It doesn't really matter. They're all about okay. the same on difficult levels. But okay. uh, the way that they came into her is they, they went below her, her skull and, and kind of did a limnectomy lim- on uh-huh. her cervical vertebrae to get to it. And then uh, basically cut that out of her fourth ventricle and then sewed everything back up. Um, it had basically what the reason why she was having the neurological changes that is basically clogged off her fourth ventricle completely, which is where your spinal fluid moves up and down and through your brain. It all exits right out there, and it compressed her brain stem, and that's where she was getting her neurological changes. Hmm. She was having spinal fluid build up and uh, pressure on her brain stem. Um. So basically after the surgery, we did that. And then we took a little bit of a break after the surgery and did a lot of uh, therapy because she had what we call posterior fossa syndrome. Mm-hmm. And that's where, because of the pressure of the um, tumor itself on her brainstem, she lost the ability to walk and talk and and move and a bunch of stuff. And she had to relearn everything. Because the, you know, basically the surgery and the, you know, everything combined did that to her. So it was a long, it was a long road. Um, we spent most of our time in between uh, radiation and, you know, her first route of radiation and chemo. And then you have to take that break before you get to the next set of chemo. We spent most of that doing uh, therapy at Shriners. And getting her facilities back, basically. I mean, she she literally had to learn everything again. It was like being a, you know, being reborn in a way. So who was the, um, so who was the, who is, how is she doing now? And now she's almost back to normal, but. She's, because she's about a year, a little over a year out now. No, well, actually, she's about six months, a little over six months out, like probably seven, eight months out. Okay, so seven or eight months out. Yeah, and she's this, got almost all her faculties back. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Um, we do have, we're, you know, we're gonna lose some, some stuff with her because the treatment's pretty rough. Um, mm-hmm. the proton radiation that we did with her, uh. You know, it's global over her brain and spine on that treatment. And she's going to lose, because it was globally on her spine, she's going to lose some height. You know, physically, that's what she's going to do. She's not going to grow as tall as she would have grown. Because they did the radiation globally on her brain, she's going to lose a little bit of cognitive, but we won't know what, what, how much cognitive she's lost until she gets older. Um, We've got to watch for endocrine problems later because we globally radiated her brain and that meant that we you know we radiated her pituitary thing. so we got to 
endocrine levels, you know, like anything that you would think of like from diabetes mellitus to diabetes insipidus to adrenal gland problems to various different things, thyroid problems, everything like that. Um, uh, we may, you know, we, we'll be looking at, into problems like with uh, precocious puberty and a bunch of other stuff because it could, it could kick her off early for developing, you know, basically for lack of a way to better say it, her lady parts, if that makes sense. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. um, we just know it's going to be a long, hard process. Uh, yeah, so it's definitely not over. No. In the, the chemo got her hearing. So now she's going to have hearing aids probably the rest of her life. And uh, the surgery and uh, the tumor itself got a little bit on her vision. So right now we're doing vision therapy and we're doing uh, some stuff with hearing and some other things. So, and, you know, trying to get her up to par where hopefully she won't have to have an eye surgery because she's improved a lot with her eyes, just with the vision therapy. So a lot of doctors and, you know, my, my wife really fights for stuff like this because she she doesn't want to put anybody under the knife if she doesn't have to. And I really believe her in that aspect because surgery is its own double-edged sword. You know, everything that you cut normally doesn't grow back exactly the way it was, you know. Exactly the way that it was was so. Um, the so, you know, the surgeons didn't really want to do, and and this is where we're at right now. You know, currently what we're finding is, is um, the surgeons really didn't want to do the vision therapy, but they're like, what you know? Well, we'll let you go with it. It couldn't hurt anything, you know. Right. And they're kind of uh, shocked that she's improving as much as she is. So they're like changing their mind on exactly what surgery they're wanting to do. So that's a plus plus for us. But I mean, my main thing from all of this is that I really do believe people should really fight for more than what they, you know, than what they're told by the doctors. And I'm not saying that the doctors are necessarily bad. I'm just saying that they don't always know everything because they're just as human as me and you. Right. You know? Right. So fight for everything. Yeah, you really do. You really, you really have to. And that's with everything. It's not just with cancer, but it's just with everything. Well, I think the, I think the question on everybody's mind that's going to be listening is how you make, how you make it through all this. Plus uh, we haven't mentioned it, but you also have a younger child. You have a younger son. Yeah. I mean, I also have a 20 year old daughter that's trying to go through college too, on top of this. (laughs) Right. So we have a 21 year old daughter. That's right. I did yeah. not forget about her. I just uh, know that she actually helps with the kids instead of being having to take care. So I guess that does affect her college life. Yeah, it, it does. But you know, we we've kind of come to terms. All of us, you know, me, Christy, and Randy, all have come to terms with the fact that this is what we got, and this is what we have to do. And it, right. it's just mm-hmm. it's just about stepping out and putting one foot in front of the other. I right. mean, so there's, there's no sense in, no. in crying about it. Well, you, you, you cry about it. You just don't, you know, <laughs> dwell on it. You just don't, you just don't let it defeat you. Basically. Yeah. I guess you could say you don't dwell on it, but right. As long as you don't quit. Yeah. You just don't quit. I mean, you Not may be until you, you quit. Yeah. 
when you quit, that's when it wins. That's right. So yeah. we're still fighting the good fight. Yeah. So uh, you're back at work, and she's still getting treatment. Yeah. And I mean, and that's basically where we're at. Yeah. Her her immune system hadn't completely gotten back together yet, even six right. months out. It took me a long time to get my immune system up. So we're basically in the point of homeschool instead of in in the teacher comes to us. We don't even do the um, we online. call it the Zoom meetings or the online. Yeah, because she needs that one on one type stuff. Zoom stuff wouldn't work with her right now. Right. It's too hard on her. So. Right. That's a lot of stuff going on right there. And then you throw, then you smack dab in the middle of this COVID stuff. Yeah, that, that didn't help matters much. Yep. I mean, but it, it did give us the, you know, we, you know, us on, on one hand, there's some plus pluses to the situation. At least, at least, you know, Liam's young enough that he, he doesn't have to worry about going to school, but on her aspect, we don't have a kiddo that's going through the great social experiment of trying to figure out how to evade the COVID virus at school. That's so, true. Because she, she's at home. But so. So the last thing we can talk about real quick is uh, I know that y'all have done some of the genetic testing for your son, right? To see if he was, how does the uh, well, genetic testing work exactly? Um, basically the genetic testing is they draw blood and they get it approved through your insurance on what they're, what, you know, what, what they'll allow. Uh, I don't, we haven't really tested him in particular, but we've tested myself and Allison mm-hmm. and we're, I mean, you can either call us the luckiest people alive because we're surviving this and I'm all still in one piece. And mm-hmm. for the type of cancer she's got, she's in pretty damn good shape, if that makes sense. Or you yes. can call us the most unlucky people in the world because we've gotten two cancers that are complete fluke. Because we've done every genetic test that's available to us. Right. And we can't find a genetic component that makes us vulnerable or why we would get this cancer. It's just not there. And myself and my wife did genetic testing before we did uh, um, fertility because right. Allison is actually a fertility baby. We, we didn't do in vitro, but we did uh, insemination and stuff like that to, to get mm-hmm. things to work. So, right. and then Liam came along because I guess we paved the way with Allison. So, it's kind of an interesting deal. We didn't expect him, but here he is, and we love him, even though he tries to burn the house down every time he can, every chance he gets. If that makes sense. Well, there you go. Yeah, because he's all boy and all a hundred miles an hour and all craziness. So, but he's starting well, to calm down, so that's good. That's that's perfect. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna go ahead and say that you're lucky. Uh, you're lucky that uh, y'all are uh, surviving and making it through all this. You're lucky to have your wife. I know that for a fact because I'm lucky to have my wife. Yeah. Uh, you're lucky to have uh, – You're we're lucky to be here in, in Alvin close to – well, as close as you can get to Houston on the peripheral. Yeah. Uh, we're lucky that you're uh, – you know, we got Clear Lake. We have MD Anderson. We have all these wonderful Texas 
the cancer centers and all these wonderful treatments. We have a proton therapy you can go to right in the med center, which is a, what it's, it can't be more than a mile from MD Anderson. Oh no, man. It's, it's like, you can walk to it. And I mean, then, uh, so I consider you to be pretty lucky. Uh, you have a pretty good family there. Your daughter takes care of the kids when you are at work, your wife works. Uh, I know you have your uh, mother-in-law that takes care of y'all. Uh, she's so, not as much as she has been. Not, not as I much know. lately. She's but her she, health is declining, and so is, so is Christy's dad's health. But they're they're still okay. with us. So they're still they're still trying to help out. I know. Yeah. Well, I am just so tickled that you're here with me and sharing your story, and I'm going to put it on the podcast, and we're going to show you a little bit of love. And I just uh, wanted to get your story out there <laughs> so everybody can know that's that there's lots of lots of extraordinary period people and lots of extraordinary stories out there. They just need an audience to tell it. And you're my hero for the week. And Allison is my hero for the week. And I wanted to ask you before we go, uh, who is your hero, Will? Who is my hero? Oh, man. Who's I didn't your thought hero? Of that. I know. Well, we're thinking <laughs> about it right now. I, I, I totally threw you a curveball. Yeah, you totally did. Uh, I don't know. Um don't say Thor. No, nah, it ain't going to be Thor. <laughs> You're talking about real life heroes, right? <laughs> yeah, real life heroes. Everyday heroes. Yeah, everyday heroes. Well, I still I still say that, you know, the fire department police officers out there that I've worked with in the past and everything are probably the best heroes out there. They're willing to do it for a minimal amount of pay and a lot of a lot of crap and especially with what's going on today. You know, they All need right. to they need to be put in the limelight and, you know, treated a little bit better. Well, that's definitely a common theme on the uh, on our broadcast, yeah. on our podcast. Uh, the first first line uh, nutrition, everyday heroes. Yeah. Uh, we give love to all the first responders out there, including the nurses and, yeah, and man, techs it's, it's, and all those people out there. It's a thankless job, man. It is a thankless <laughs> job. You are exactly right. Yeah. And one thing. One thing they never talk about is how many awesome, and you can you can speak to this, how many awesome paramedics do we know personally that couldn't make it as paramedics and had to go to nursing school or doctor school or had to go to some other career? Oh, man, there's uh, we probably know about three-quarters of the nurses out there started in the paramedic career. That's right. <laughs> the and ones we, that we know. Of all the paramedics we've known are now nurses. Yep. All the ones that we grew up with, or I, I say grow up, grew up as medics with, are now nurses, including, you know, your wife, my wife. They were both paramedics. Yep. So uh, we're giving very, all the love we can to them out there. Very few. So of I want to thank you for your time and thank you for your story. And I'm going to get the story out there for everybody to hear. And I hope to talk to you. Uh, we'll do like a six months and see how Allison's doing in six months. Well, we're hoping that everything's great. I mean, yeah, so far, everything has come back wonderful. Um, all of our scans, myself and hers included, have come back negative. Um, okay. Well, I can't really say negative, but... Um, they come back that nothing's growing. Scar tissue isn't, isn't getting bigger. Mine, it, right. mine have actually come back. The scar tissue is actually getting smaller and my function is getting, right. is even getting better. So 
uh, hers on the, on the other, you know, on the aspect of it, her cancer, they said they call it the cancer bed because hers was adhered to her brainstem. Um, mm-hmm. it is not, it is, de- it's declining, getting smaller and we don't see any new growth or anything like that, which is a plus plus. So, I mean, but you know, we're always on edge to an extent, you know, right. You know, it's just it's, always yeah. waiting for, waiting for that, waiting for that other, that other foot to drop, you know, yeah. Some- that's right that's right but, well let's hope it doesn't drop and i'm gonna check back with you uh i think six months should be yeah. good um one of the things i found out you, you know for myself uh-huh. uh that first year anniversary passed this september for me on out of treatment right and right. that was pretty close to allison's six month out of treatment i feel yeah. like myself and Christy will be able to relax a lot more when we get Allison past her first year uh, anniversary because okay. so when when is the first year anniversary May May yeah hers will be around uh, six seven, yeah probably May I think it's when they finish right, well, it... so when we hit that mark okay. I think we'll feel like things have, I, I'm never going to say things have gotten back to normal because you're never normal after all of this, but we'll feel a lot better about the road. ahead. It, it'll be easier. We'll never forget. Yeah, it, but I it'll know be that easier. you, I know that, you know, Aaron Hill and when we interviewed her, she talked about that. Also, she said that you'll never, you'll never, she'll never, ever be the same. No but she feels like she's a way better person, way stronger person because of it. And that's one of the things that she talked about on her when we interviewed her. Yeah. What's well, cause she said, you can't ever go back. It's no, you can't. And that, that, that's one thing that I'd really want to leave it on, but you know, being yeah, the kids have it much better than the adults, to be honest with you. Um, they just recover better. And from my experience, you know, I was diagnosed when I was, you know, I'm, I just, I'll be turning 49. I just turned 48. So I was diagnosed when I was 46, technically. Um, I just, and you know, I was about to turn 47 basically, but I feel like it's harder because you just don't. It's harder to get everything back. It takes a long time. And right. you're just tired, you know? So I can understand how she feels, you know? She's tired, but I just hope that she's able to you know, get past it and everything else, which I'm sure she is. I mean, she's doing it. She wants to be here, you know? We right. found out, you know, she really wants to be here. She does it, you know, she right. won't tell you, but she does it through action. And, and you know, when you're watching the, your kiddo go through all of this, you know, some people realize that their kid's not going to make it, and it's it's hard. You know, I've I've known some friends that have lost their kiddos from stuff like this. But right. you always know that they, you know, we knew Matt or Madison Allison wanted to fight because she wanted to go through recovery. You know, she fought to get through that, and her actions spoke a lot louder than words. You know, so. Mm-hmm. It's a hard thing to watch and a hard thing to do, but as long as your kids fight, it, it's it makes it easier. If that makes sense. 
No, it makes total sense. Yeah. Actions speak louder than words, and kids speak with their actions. Yeah, exactly. That's why a lot of people like taking care of kids because kids. Yeah, they don't complain. They don't tell you they're sick when they're not sick. They don't complain. Yeah. They bounce back. They're they're resilient. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We'll do this in May and hope we'll invite because I can invite up to 10 people. We'll see if your wife can come on. We'll see if uh, your daughter can come on and maybe we can get um, maybe we can get Allie to say a few words if she's if she's filling up to it and just do a do a one year a one year anniversary. All right. That'll work, man. Podcast. That'll work. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. And I will talk to you again in six months. Well, All right. Well, I'll talk to you before then. <laughs> we'll talk to you again on the podcast before then uh, in May. All right, man. Well, have a great weekend or have a great week. Sorry. Have a great week. Hello, this is Jason. Tyler with the First Line Nutrition Everyday Hero podcast, and we're here with Martin Vanna III, and he'll be doing our quote of the day. If you want to have more, you have to become more. For things to change, you have to change. For things to get better, you have to get better. For things to improve, you have to improve. If you grow, everything grows for you. Jim Rohn. Hello, I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's episode of the First Line Nutrition Everyday Hero Podcast, where we bring you extraordinary stories told by extraordinary people. I'd like to invite you to next week's podcast, and I hope you continue to listen. And if you or maybe someone you know or live with has an extraordinary story to tell, you can email me, you can follow me on Facebook, you can message me. I'm also on Instagram and TikTok. So for now, have a great evening and always remember that you have a hero inside. Thank you.